So today we start a new season. It's, it's amazing how things have worked out. Um, and I guess we could have, we might have started last week with, uh, with Sydney and, and the word that he has because there's so much congruency in, in what he spoke about last week with the salt and we the salt and the light in, in our everyday endeavors um, and that the sanctuary is the sanctuary. It's where we come to get filled up. But most of the time we spend away from our sanctuaries, and uh, a lot of that time we spend at work. So let's go. Um, uh, at the outset, I'd just like to say that this mini-series is, is based on a series that John Markoma did, and so the golden thread of what he said uh, comes out in a lot of our preachers. And um, it's a series and a topic that uh, is not preached about much, work, and I think uh, because the ladies don't like to talk about work because their husbands come home grumpy every day from work and those kind of things, but for, for whatever reason, it's not a, it's not a topic that's well um, uh, discussed, so I think it's appropriate that we do it because we have to face the fact um, that we spend a lot of our time uh, working, and so um, let's see what John Markoma said in terms of the stats of of the hours every day that we spend working. Um, generally, we sleep about, poorly, about eight hours a day, maybe a bit more, some a bit less, but about eight hours a day. And we spend eight hours a day at work during work time. So we go to work and we come back, and, but you might spend an hour or so traveling to work and then you come back and you've got certain things that you have to put in place and do and stuffs. And if we consider that, that that might take another four hours, then we watch TV for four hours. So that's your 24 hours. Eight hours sleep, eight hours work, other stuffs that you can consider work. And then we do social media and TV and, and, and all the other stuff. So if we include traveling time and the time to and from work and the exercise and our to-do lists and... Uh, things like washing, ironing, fixing, etc. Um, we spend, actually, if you consider that to be work, we spend about 12 hours a day working. And then reflecting on weekends and holidays, if you think about it, um, our whole life, stat statistics show that um, the average person works about a third of his entire life very conservatively, so that's a huge thing. If that's, if that's taking up so much of our, our time, it's, it's worth discussing and seeing how we go about our, our work days because you can't just block that out of your life. And to many people, work is a curse. You get up in the morning, you dread going to work, you hate every minute of being in work, and once you get there, you watch the clock, and you just waiting for the time to get in your car and get back home. And a lot of people are like that. A lot of people actually hate their jobs. And to others, work is a God. Work is where you look for meaning and satisfaction and where you get your identity. I'm a doctor. I'm a CA. I'm a metallurgist or a lawyer or some lower forms of work. But, but work is where you get your self-worth and where you validate your, your existence. And work is actually worship, and it, 
and, and what is worship? Worship is a place where you make sacrifice. You sacrifice time and energy and health, children, mar marriages, relationships, to gain self-worth. So, so it can become a God, and you can understand that it can become a God. And, and this was my life for many, many years. <clears throat> Work was my God. I grew up in a middle-class family. Both parents worked. And I wanted to become rich and powerful. That was just what I wanted. And early on in my career, I learned that hard work paid off. Um, and I moved up the corp corporate ladder very, very quickly. And I started a life of striving and never really satisfied to stay in one position too long. And I did everything I could do to advance my career. I worked hard. I studied hard, became well-educated and well-respected. And of course, it came with a cost. I can remember when I was studying my master's in business leadership, my little boy at that stage, Craig, was three or four. And uh, I'd come home and uh, dive straight into the books, and this little guy just wanted to spend time with his dad. Man, and, and he'd come to the door, and he couldn't, he, he couldn't reach up to the handle and open it, and he cried, and then I'd let him in every so often, and that was studying, gone for a, a couple of hours. And Anita had to take him under her wing and look after him while I, I was studying. And then the one day I came home from work, and he wasn't anywhere to be seen. And then I went past his room, and his door was closed. And I opened it, and there's this little guy at his desk with crowns. I said to him, what are you doing? He says, Dad, I'm working. I'm studying. Because that's what daddies do. So you become a role model to those people closest to you uh, without even trying. And you know, that hurt, but, uh, but, but still I was so um, intent on, on, on pushing my career forward because if you get a lot of money, you can really look after your chick and your kids and, and things. And, uh, and my work actually became toil, and you don't realize it. Um, the truth is that the company owned my soul. And eventually I found out that toil begets toil. And you start going down a spiral of discontent when you're not prog progressing fast enough. So you work harder to numb that pain of toil uh, as you seek more and more recognition uh, in the work environment. It's like drugs. So it, it, it's like a drug. At one stage... I was working over 200 hours, 200 days a year out of the country, away from my family, believing the lie that the most important function was to provide for them, and actually living in denial that uh, as a head of the home, you're also the identity of that uh, family, and you're also the protection. And if you're not there, um, they don't have that. They don't have that covering over them. And if the truth be known, I, I, I would suggest that uh, this is a major, major, major problem in the world, in our nation and, and other nations in the world, of why we fatherless. Fathers get out and they go and do their thing and they look after and actually just toil away at, and, and, and try and build up their own self-worth. And I'm not saying that hard work is, is not important and not good, but it, it, it is important and it, and it is good. But there's certain times that, uh, 
that uh, you have to step back and say, is this hard work pulling me off more important things, the more important things in life? So what does the Bible say about work? Let's look at Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created heavens, the heavens and the earth. The very first glimpse that we get of God is that he's working. Creating, designing, inventing, engineering, sculpting. God is a worker. And in verse 26, God says, Let us make mankind in, kind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. The word rule here is radar in Hebrew. And it means to reign or have dominion. And so this is kingdom language. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in, in, of life in it, I give. Every green plant for food, and it was so. So God created male and female as partners to rule over the earth. He blessed them to rule and subdue and wrestle with the earth and bring profit. The first thing that, we, uh, that, that God does is bless us in our work. Why is that? Because that's what he does. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to live well. He wants shalom. He's not an angry God. He's a good, good father. Humanity is given its job description right here in verse 28. To be fruitful, to fill the earth and subdue it. He repeats, rule, take dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Subdue. The, the Hebrew word here is kabash, uh, which means wrestle the earth and wring profit from it as kings and queens. And then in Genesis 2, Genesis 2, there we go. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So man is taken into the Garden of Eden. Um, this is the first glimpse of humanity working to create um, shalom and flourish. And shalom is peace and harmony and wholeness and completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. So humanity was created to rule. We were made to work. It's in our DNA and it's central to our humanity. Dallas Willard says that meaningful work is a soul function. Without it, your soul dies. And the first question we as men ask one another when we meet for the first time is, what do you do? That's the first question. Because what you do matters as an image bearer of God. 
It matters. It really does matter. Unemployment is gut-wrenching. And that's why people who don't enjoy their jobs are so miserable. Even if they make truckloads of cash, you get grumpy old rich men. It's true. Also, some people who retire early, not me, are often unhappy. <laughs> not me. Because to stop working is to, to stop being human, if you think about it. Work is the first blessing in the story. I blessed you with work. It's not a curse. God made work to be a blessing. But most, most people hate their jobs. Why is that? Why do people hate their jobs? And some of the reason comes from the next part of the story. And that's the fall. So let's go to Genesis 3, verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife. And ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat the fruit from it all the days of your life. So because of sin, the ground is cursed. Work is now hard. It's painful. It's toil. It's full of thorns and thistles. And the blessing has become a curse. So humanity needs to be saved and, 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 and to be saved and to be put in the right relationship with the creator and creation because we were made to rule over creation and now that's broken. And that's why Jesus comes into the picture as a human to do what Adam was supposed to do. God cursed the ground. God curses humans' relationship with the earth. The blessing is that human is made to made in the image of God to rule over the earth. But the, the, the curse is now that it's hard. It's very hard. Now there's painful toil. Now the blessing is cursed and humans need to be saved and need to be put back into the right relationship with the Creator, back into the garden, back into God's presence. Man was made to rule, so humans need to be saved. We have to rule, so you have to be saved. And that's why Jesus steps in. And why Jesus comes as a human to do what Adam was supposed to do, as I said earlier, to rule over the earth and put you back into the spot that God made for you. And in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul looks back at, at the Genesis story, and in verse 8 he glances at the interplay between salvation and work, being right with God and work. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This scripture has to be read as one thought. The whole paragraph, not, not just hyper-focusing on the, on the great grace portion. The church doesn't spend much time preaching on work, yet we spend half, about half our lives working. And Paul is not talking about work in the ge generic sense here. He's talking uh, about how we are put into a right relationship with God. And it's through grace by faith, 100%. And that's a gift and that's free. But that's not the end of, of Paul's flow of thought. Verse 10 says, 
that we are saved as God's handiwork through Christ Jesus to do good works. Works that God has set out way in advance for us to do. And here Paul is pointing back to Genesis 1 verse 27. Jesus saved you to put you back into the right relationship uh, with God to put you to work so that you can do what you've been blessed to do. So they're good works prepared in, in advance for us to do. How's that? So then the question can be, what are the good works? John Marcoma summarizes good works as service of other, others to create shalom. Or as Gary Bradshaw, Shaw, I mean Brashears, <laughs> one of the two, says, work is the gracious expression of Yahweh's creative energy in service of other, others to create shalom. I think that's an amazing definition. And of course, if they're good works, uh, it goes without saying that they are also evil works. Um, there's work that lead, leads people into sin uh, that doesn't create shalom. And, and we see a lot of that uh, happening around us in the, in the country. Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to break that. But there's good work. And the word for work here is vocation. And there's a difference between vocation and occupation. Occupation is what you do to make a living. It's your job. You may love your job or you may hate your job, but that's what occupation is. But vocation is a calling from God and comes from the Latin word vocare, which means calling. And there are two things that we have to consider here. And firstly, um, vocation is the work that fits you, manual or mental, that helps others and glorifies God. You enjoy it. I'm good at that. I was made for, I, I was made for this. How many of us go to work and, you know, I wasn't really made for this, but that I was made for. Coffee, making coffee, those kind of things. Drinking coffee. I was made for drinking coffee. And the second point is vocation is work that serves others. And that good work defines satisfaction. You can do anything else in the whole world. I promise you, you'll never, ever be satisfied and happy with life and, uh, um, and define success in any other way than that definition. I've tried all sorts of things, but... Uh, but, but this is truth, and, and that's how, how we designed, and that's how God wants us. God wants us in the right relationship with him. He wants us to serve others. He wants us to do the work that we called for, whether it's mental or manual. Whatever it is, there's no work above work. There's work for you, and God has designed that work for you. In short, you work to reshape the world, to reflect God's glory and presence, because when the world functions like God intend, intended, it's beautiful. And God gets the glory. But your vocation, as I said a bit earlier, is not always the same as your occupation. You hope that it, it, would, it would be, but it's not always the case. For example, stay-at-home moms. This is your work. Or students, while you're studying, that's your vocation. You're called to put your back into it and create shalom. Are you listening? Where's Jenna? Oh, I hope she's watching. Jenna, are you watching? You're studying. Creating shalom. 
And shalom is found at the intersection of your occupation and your vocation. But the problem with calling is that often people think we're called into spiritual stuff. That God calls people to work in churches. He doesn't call people to work in banks, for example, surely. Does he? Of course he does. Of course he does. God calls people to all sorts of vocations, like doctors or engineers or metallurgists. In fact, especially metallurgists. All metallurgists are called. <laughs> They've got to be. Who, who else would want to do it? <laughs> In fact, most of our callings are outside the world. The, the walls of the sanctuary or the church. And, uh, I mean, I think Sidney was just so profound last uh, week when he pro uh, preached about the fact that we're the salt and the light. So we, our ministry, most of us, us our ministry is out there. All kinds of good works that fit you, help others, and glorify God are our callings. In Lighthouse, just look around us. Just look at Gary. I don't know why he's not in full-time ministry yet, but I suggest that for now, uh, he's called to touch captains of industry. Our Lighthouse promise, after all, is Isaiah 60. Then you'll look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And all Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar. And I'll adorn my glorious temple. Just a few verses. Gary? And there are others. Anita? Linda? Penny? The faith that... that, that um, you walk out your calling, callings with. I've, I've been lucky enough to spend some time with some of you when I haven't been working especially. But, uh, but it needs just, just to see you moving your calling into creation and, and, and studying and identifying and loving creation and dance through your art. Um, you know, you've spent your whole life bringing up kids and supporting this guy. And just to see you in your calling is unbelievable. And then our kingdom business group. All of you that uh, belong to the kingdom business group. Uh, Peter, Ryan, Ian, Grant, Karen. Um, this is a group that's impacting the kingdom. Belisa, most of you here. This is, this is a, a group that's impacting the kingdom through their work. And that's how it should be. That's what... God wants. That's your calling. That brings shalom. So we need to see our work as a calling from God. But to do this, we have to ex expose two lies. And the first one is that um, lie that comes from outside the church, saying that works, work is a means to the end. We work to make money and gain success and fame. But money is a byproduct of working well. It's a lie that we live to work. The truth is we work to live. We're made by God to create shalom for humans to thrive in God's presence. And the second lie is the sacred-secular divide, the lie of spiritual work being more important than secular work. There's no such word in this, 
as spiritual in the Bible from Genesis to Malachi in the Old uh, Temple. Because in the Old Temple, the Hebrew understanding of life was that all life is spiritual. All life is spiritual. Um, Sharon spoke about that very profoundly um, th this morning in our prayer meeting. Amen. All life matters to God. Life is holistic. We, don't, we also spoke about that in the prayer meeting this morning. We don't live in silos. That today we this, tomorrow we that. We can't break life into silos. When we separate our living into spiritual and secular, we eject Jesus from the major part of our lives. Don't do it. Don't do that. The lie is that God is only there when we're at church or praying or having a quiet time, not when I'm at work. God wants to be with you every single minute, every single day, in every single endeavor that you undertake. God, God's not with us only in the sanctuary, but 100% of life, in the ordinary mundane of life, in the business deal, in doing balance sheets and mowing the lawn. Patrick, where's Patrick? Not here. And Gary always used the, uses the example of Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God while peeling potatoes. Every, everything that we do uh, is important. So what you do matters. We don't have to go to seminary to follow Jesus or to work for the church. It's good. It's good. I'm not belittling those, those functions, and they're very important functions. Or to work in the church or be involved in an NPO. Um, I think good work is being involved in the NPA in South Africa. Most, <laughs> most, most people have a calling on their life outside the sanctuary to be more serious. Jesus walks with you every single minute of every single day. Out in the world, he wants to give work meaning. And if you, your work has meaning, your soul has meaning. And your spirits lift up. And your soul is the deepest part of unity in your human existence. If your soul dies, you don't know about it until you're the frog that's boiled in that water. Don't go there. All of life matters because all of life is spiritual and matters to God. So let's be those that choose life. It's a choice. Let's do it. <clears throat>